Find what you love and let it kill you. Charles Bukowski. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our bookcast. That was Kayla. I'm Brandy, and we're two bitches reading books. I just finished reading this book literally 27 minutes ago. And we picked a terrible place to stop. I texted you as soon as I was done, like... Why did we stop right before the third chapter of Verity's book? Verity's book is arguably better than the book there, Verity. I'm just going to say it. Um, Yeah. I can't stop thinking about it. It's only been, as I said, 27 minutes, but I'm going to read the next chunk right after this. My day is gone. (laughs) I even told you yesterday when I finished, I said, why? (laughs) I want to keep reading. Yeah. We should have just done this all in one take. Just kidding. I definitely would have been way late to the podcast if we did it all in one take. But, <laughs> man, this, this is a good book. This, she is a good writer. Like, can we talk about just the first fucking line? I read it in bed with Matt last night, and I was like, okay, I have to read this to you right now. I hear the crack of his skull before the spattering of blood reaches me. That's how the book starts. Those are the first words. It makes you sick. It does. And then it just, like, goes on. This guy basically got hit by a car right in front of Loen, the main character of the book. And um, she talks about how his uh, head goes under the tire. She closes her eyes, and it sounds like the pop of a cork of a champagne bottle. (sighs) My first note was, could have lived without the description. Yeah. My first note is this opening line. And then death by routine, because she said this guy was just casually looking down at his phone. Probably his fault. He's done this so many times and nothing bad has happened. Death by routine. This book is brutal. Both of these women are fucking brutal. He said, people gasp, but no one screams. This is just like what happens in New York City. She like goes on to talk about how um, she is looking around and some people just keep on walking. She says there are like a few people trying to help and there are some people filming, of course, but most people just go on about their day and she mentions if she still lives in Vir- if she still lived in Virginia this would be completely different everyone would stop but that's just life in the city she's covered in blood now she's- and she's dressed really nice because she has a meeting she was dressed really nice <laughs> she was dressed <laughs> i mean i feel like i can make jokes about this because like she kind of is she's mentioning how This is not much more than an inconvenience for most people. Delay in traffic for some. A ruined wardrobe for others, like hers. This is just the beginning. This this is the first tragedy of, I don't, an uncountable number of tragedies we have mentioned in the first 100 pages of this book. Later on, she mentions how people are chronics, having chronic tragedies, and I, that's a concept that's going to stick with me for a long time. You know what's really funny? This, the bottom paragraph of page two, it says, as much as the indifference in some people... Some of the people here disturbs me. It's exactly why I moved to the city 10 years ago. People like me belong in overpopulated cities. The state of my life is irrelevant in a place this size. And I was like, Brandy, you should move. I, I actually, I feel like I've thought that so many times when she mentions stuff about the city. And also, I could be low in. I feel like we are very similar in attitude. But also yes. maybe because we knew somebody who died kind of recently and we're just like, fuck every fucking thing. Maybe we're both just at that stage of grief still. Yeah, yeah. I could so, see it. So yeah, I am really um, relating a lot to Lowen. 
And I don't know how she, she was like, it's wrong of me to keep reading this manuscript. I'll just take one more peek. I would have been 27 chapters deep. I'd have been asking Jeremy questions about this fucking thing over pizza at 1130 at night. Like, <laughs> uh, we're a little bit different because she has more manners than I do. <laughs> but I am a nosy bitch and don't have any interesting stories around me because I'm asking questions. <laughs> All of the questions. All of them. So I hated this opening scene. I hate blood. Like my stomach was like making noises when I was reading this because it's gross. It's, it's on him. Someone comes up, a stranger, eyebrows waggling um, really suggestively here, comes up and starts like kind of acting like maybe there's some blood on her face. And there is on her lips. Somebody's blood went in her mouth. She's just trying to walk to a meeting. Like, she's not having the best life, we find out later, up to this point. This is her first time leaving the house for two weeks. And then some dude's head just got popped like a cork on a champagne bottle by a truck tire, and his blood is in her mouth now. I would go home. I would go home and never leave again. <laughs> and this is where we meet Jeremy. Yes. He's oh, a very man. nice stranger. Asks her if she's hurt. He asks her twice if she's hurt. And she's like, it's not my blood. And she yeah. thinks, I just saw a man die, but she's not going to tell him. Yeah. Um, but he saw the same man die. Everybody was there. And I guess he was one of the few people who didn't just ignore it. But he's acting like he's really concerned. And he grabs her arm and kind of, like, is talking to her. She's like, is it on my face? He doesn't want to tell her that it's on her face. And he takes her to a bathroom. And she doesn't give a fuck. She's so disgusted by, like, the blood on her. She just, like rips her fucking shirt off oh we're not even there yet first they can't get into the women's bathroom she scares some people in the coffee shop and they like let her pass all quick and they end up in the men's bathroom Ugh. and then she rips the shirt off right in front of the stranger she doesn't even know his name yet this is a terrible fucking day this this is like i tip top of my list of days that i don't want to have yeah the only thing topping this would be being the dude whose head got popped by the tire like yeah. This, her experience here might kill me, though. The anxiety. My pits are sweating right now. I got my arms up. <laughs> Someone knocks on the door. They, don't, they say that they'll be right out. She's looking in the mirror, and she sees um, blood in her hair, and the man that is in there gives her his shirt so she can put it on. But, of course, he has um, a white shirt underneath it, so his jacket goes over that. Yeah, and he's, like, dressed nice, so this is, like, we're getting a little foreshadowing because this is going to be Jeremy, her future boss, and uh -huh. he's, like, dressed in a nice suit or whatever. One of my favorite things about this page is that she says, I feel a little comforted that somebody's right outside the door and they'd hear me scream if I needed to because I deaf would be, like, in the back of my mind thinking, I don't want to be locked in this bathroom with this man I don't know. Like, I don't even care how much blood is in my mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, she mentions at the top bottom of page four top of page five that the tanginess in the blood reminds her of something when she was 10 and I they haven't mentioned the first hundred pages but what happened to her when she was 10 I feel like that's going to be brought up because it sounds traumatic I'm wondering if it kind of goes along with what's in Verity's book I'm scared Verity's book is scary it's so good Verity seems very scary yeah when we get to that, I have, like, I have some guesses. Oh, man. Oh, I'm excited to hear them. So, anyways, we're back on page five at the bottom. He's got his suit jacket on top of his undershirt. 
he's tall and muscular eyebrows waggling because that's going to come up a lot of times <laughs> this book is wild verity and jeremy crazy i'm just shaking i don't even know what to say <laughs> crazy so she's she does she's starting to be able to like comprehend words now and find the silver lighting that thank god it isn't her skull that exploded but now she's wearing a giant stranger's shirt to this business meeting that she has to go to they just start talking about like <clears throat> is she in shock i don't know just having a normal conversation i guess that you have with somebody who's cleaning blood off of you in a bathroom after you guys just watch somebody die he says i've seen worse they really just unload their souls right here in front of each other just just met before they get there, she notices that his eyes are chartreuse, and that's yellow. Isn't that yellow? I think so. That reminds me of when I worked at Dairy Queen. This kid that I worked with used to always tell me that I had yellow eyes like a cat, and he said it was really scary. So anyways, that's something that stuck with me my whole life. <laughs> I thought chartreuse eyes were offensive. <laughs> Apparently, they're not. They're not. So he starts to get to know her, or he asks her name. She says, Lowen, and then she does the same, Jeremy. She thinks he's hot. And she's wondering, what did he mean by he's seen worse? And she asks, what what happened to you? And he goes, "Um, I had to pull my daughter out of a lake five months ago. Eight pages in, and everyone is fucking dying. She said it wasn't gloom at all in his expression. It was despair. And my note here says the mom did it. Verity, I think she did it. That's kind of my thought, too. I mean, later on in the book, Verity says Jeremy found something to love more than her. And Lowen says it can't be something so lame as the kids. But I think that's exactly what it is. You think so? I do. And I don't think it's that he loved the kids more than her. This is just my really early thoughts but I don't think it's that he loved the kids more than her I think it's that Verity never wanted to become a mom yeah and she didn't want to share the attention it's not really about the kids they could have been anyone they could have been a dog they could have been goldfish that wasn't part of her plan Mm -hmm. but anyway you think she killed them though yeah so do I yes I do and then this allergic reaction randomly that causes a death at a Mm -hmm friend's house i feel like i've never heard of that happening in my life no but an author could make that shit up couldn't they they could make it work yep they could anyway did you hear about the author who killed her husband and then wrote about killing her husband in real life yeah i think you it happened read like her Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> why'd she kill him do you know any- no i haven't heard about this should i google it real quick yeah okay how do you murder your husband? Ma'am, this was recent. Yeah. Oh my gosh, she's 71. Oh, I didn't know how old she was. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm just like, I haven't even clicked on any articles. I'm just like reading headlines. It wasn't a book that she wrote. She wrote an essay titled oh, How to Murder Your Husband. Okay. Well, we could probably do a little mini app about this essay if we wanted. She, but she was a novelist. She shot her husband to death. Oh my gosh. And... Like, how do you shoot someone to death? Because I feel like you could just shoot them once and they would die. Like, shooting someone to death, you just like, pop, 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 pop. (laughs) I'm sure it's just one pop. (laughs) Just like if you, like, bludgeoned somebody and it was just one bludgeon, they would still say you got bludgeoned to to death, you know? Okay, okay. I I don't know. I I think that that's just, they're making it sound more 
exciting. And that was the New York Times who wrote that headline. So somebody oh. was trying to spice up their article. Okay, so Nancy Brophy, that's her name. Interesting. All right, so back to Verity. We find out that Lowen's mother died last week. Well, I think she mentions it in the beginning, but this is the first time she's telling Jeremy that her mom died. And he's mm-hmm. like, how did she die? And she's like, ugh, just cancer. Now I feel bad. It's not like your daughter dying in a lake. She doesn't really say that, but I'm sure that's what she's thinking in a way. And she said, today is the first time I've stepped outside in weeks. This page is so relatable for me. Like, right after she says my mother died last week, this little paragraph, he says, he doesn't react to my tragedy like I reacted to him. He doesn't react at all. And I wonder if it's because he was hoping mine was worse. It isn't. He wins. And before that, she had been talking about how there's this game that people who are grieving play with each other to see who's had the worst tragedy. And if somebody else's tragedy is worse than yours, then you can feel better for a second. And that shit is fucking real. And it's sad. Ugh. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. I would never step outside again, as I mentioned. Like, this is your first time leaving after basically being stuck in the house for, I mean, it was only all day every day at the very end, but probably basically all day every day for the entire nine months the mom was there. And the first time she leaves after watching somebody die of cancer, which is gruesome, no matter how you swing it, no matter how you know it was coming, it's awful to watch and people who have cancer are often awful to the people around them because they don't feel good and first time she leaves her house this is what fucking happens this is what fucking happens i would go home (laughs) fuck this meeting fuck getting evicted from your apartment like this is the like events that would lead me to living on the street (laughs) right yeah (laughs) or at least like traveling right or something Uh, So Jeremy's like, well, I have to go. I have a meeting I need to get to. Little do we know, this isn't going to be the last time they see each other. Oh, I had suspected at this point because, like, when he, he, like, paused when he heard her name, Lowen, not a very common name. He knew it was her. He -hmm. knew it, and he was trying to make her feel better. And he's just always trying to make everybody around him feel better, and that's so fucking hot. Hotter than yellow eyes and being as tall as whatever, okay? With abs. Abs and compassion, okay? That's, that's the secret sauce. Yep. I don't even remember where we are in the book now. <laughs> Page nine. Okay. Page nine. Uh, so they leave the bathroom, um, and she's like, what? she just starts heading toward her meeting, and as she goes down that street again, she sees an ambulance has arrived, blocking traffic in both directions, and she wonders if she should give a statement, but since there's so many other people there, she just figured... I might as well go on because I don't know how much more helpful I can be. I think she says she does give them her statement and contact information, but she's not sure how helpful it will be because she didn't actually see him get hit. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. She was just close enough to hear it. And at this point, I was like, would her statement help or hinder their investigation? Because she really didn't see anything. And this I think is it would why, hinder. Right. And this is why eyewitness statements and evidence is garbage because, like, people be given statements they didn't see anything whatever (laughs) they really do and then they get called up at trial i mean there's probably not going to be a trial here this guy was in the wrong probably walked right into that and it happens y'all it happens and now the driver has to deal with that forever that driver's gonna be messed up bro yeah i would be i would never drive again i if (laughs) i was the driver i would never leave my house again so many people had days that would cause me to be an agoraphobe after that just this one block of new york 
so this the last paragraph of or page 10 is about her talking about how um a nice little micro dose of morphine would uh, really help her feel better about this meeting after watching somebody die and being super fucking nervous i wonder how many times she's done that just a, just a little just a little hit of morphine must be the perks of taking care of your mom with cancer must be that's <laughs> i was like okay lowen okay then we can be friends what else do you like to do on your weekends <laughs> and that's the end of chapter one so uh we know it's gonna be a wild ride we are in chapter two yeah i didn't take a ton of notes in this because i was just reading but we start off chapter two finding out that her and her little and her editor yeah used Cork. to bone yeah I fucking hated Corey by the end of our reading, by the way. Like, what a piece of shit. Really? Uh, Really? We actually start chapter two with Lowen saying that maybe Jeremy realized that email is the most appropriate contact method between a literary agent and his author. So he's saying, meet me tomorrow morning at nine. I think we might have an offer. And she's upset because he didn't even ask about her mom in the test. Text. And apparently they were dating for six months and boning for two years after that. And he doesn't even know that her mom died yet. She says his lack of concern made me feel unjustly irritated. He doesn't owe me anything, but he could have at least acted like he cared. She then goes on to talk about like how she has a crippling aversion to other humans. And that's why she doesn't really take face-to-face meetings. And she thinks it might be because her own mother was terrified of her um she didn't trust her as a child she kept her fairly secluded from other people outside of school because she was afraid of what she would do during her sleepwalking episodes and like the way that that has to rewire a young person's brain is crazy insane so she was a loner she had very few friends she didn't have much of a social life so this is why like this is the first morning that she's left her apartment in weeks since her mom's passed away yeah, so she's got this crippling social anxiety, probably a super small, like, circle of people to, like, lean on when stuff is going on, and a fucking mother who, let's be honest, does awful shit to her until the day she dies. And no fucking wonder she doesn't leave her house, and it must be super hard to leave when people don't die right in front of you, and you're not fighting to get a paycheck to keep your apartment. So anyways, she's thinking all this as she's, like, walking into the building of her meeting. Somebody from behind her says, nice shirt. And remember, she's wearing a gigantic white shirt she got from Jeremy. And it's Jeremy who says something about her nice shirt. She's like, is he following me? Right, like, fucking creepy. He's wearing a new shirt. So she finds out that he has a hotel nearby and he walked back to Chains. And she gets excited because if he's staying in a hotel, maybe he doesn't work here. And if he doesn't work here, maybe he isn't in the publishing industry and maybe the meeting isn't with him. She says, does that mean that you don't work in this building? And he's like, no, I don't, but I have a meeting on the 14th floor. And she's like, of course she does. So do I. So does she. (laughs) Uh, He definitely knows that he's meeting her. Like, he definitely knows, like, Lowen is not a common name. I've already said that. And, like, this motherfucker is so cocky. Like, he starts asking her questions. Like, are you a writer? And she says, yeah, are you? And he says, no, my my wife is. He wants to know what book she's re- written. And she says, you wouldn't have read any of my books. 
And he fucking Googles her right there. He's like, there's not a lot of Lowens on this earth. Probably fewer are authors. Let me just tap, 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 look this shit up right here. And my note right here is that this cocky motherfucker is going to ruin your life. <laughs> I love I love this, uh, what he says to her at 14. You don't write under a pen name. You write under Lowen Ashley, which is funny, which funny enough is the name of the author I'm meeting at 930. So this is when she <laughs> finds out that she's meeting him. Yes. And he knew the whole time. He didn't have to put on this whole charade. <laughs> but he did. But he did. Gorgeous bastard. And she finally gets a smile she was hoping to see earlier, but she doesn't want it anymore because he's a dick. (laughs) Oh, man. So they exit the elevator and Jeremy's like, see you in a few because, like, no matter what Lowen says, he knows that this is the meeting that she's going to. Then she bumps in, of course, to her dude, her, I don't even know, what is he? He's not her agent. He's like an agent. Her agent. Yeah, so she bumps into Corey and he gives her a kiss on the cheek and i fucking hate him they're not together anymore get the fuck out of here you roach yeah consent yes exactly and i feel like the comment he makes to her is very smart you're on time yeah he actually said this he told lowen that the meeting was at 9 a.m even though it's at 9 30 because she's quote unquote never on time and i would punch someone in the face if they got snarky with me before they asked me how my cancerous mother was do you think he knows? He, he doesn't knows. know. Oh, he doesn't. He finds no, out like, he doesn't know page. that she has cancer, that she had cancer. Oh, he does know that she had cancer. He doesn't okay. know that she's dead. Okay, yeah. Fuck this guy. She said she tried to bury her irritation about all of this, and because she realizes if he would have told her the correct time, she would not have seen that guy die. She would not have had blood on her shirt. She wouldn't be wearing Jeremy's shirt right now. She would just be in a better position in her life if this motherfucker would just treat her like an adult instead of a child. She's paying him, not the other way around. Yeah, I also wrote, but you also wouldn't have met Jeremy, which is actually false because she would have met him in the meeting. With her shirt on and no blood on her face. Yeah. But, I mean, they had a super intimate moment in there, like unburdening their souls together so that wouldn't have happened probably if they didn't experience trauma together yeah true (sighs) everything is trauma seems like it all circles back in this book at least so anyways they finally get to the empty conference room and they like give each other (laughs) non-compliments they seem like they had a really not toxic relationship at all heavy on sarcasm there yeah (laughs) and he finally is like how's your mother and Lowen is just like she died last week and that's how I like delivering news to people who are inconsiderate and that's the only way way you should because it catches them off guard (laughs) really (laughs) yeah I mean and then they feel like people like Corey do it to them yeah and he is an asshole so he does he deserves it he's like why didn't you tell me and she says I'm still processing, but in her head thinks, why haven't you bothered asking till now? Like, they were together. They broke up six months ago, from what I understand from my reading. And her mom has been living there for nine months. So they were together for at least three months that she was taking care of her mom. So why hasn't he asked until now? Like, I feel like even if you weren't somebody who was, like, hooking up with this person, like... He's basically the boss. writer relationship I feel like you would ask that question you would ask a co-worker that question especially if that's the reason why she hasn't been writing exactly Ugh. 
And is he her boss or is she his boss? Because I feel like she pays him. So, I, yeah, I feel like she would be his boss. And, like, wouldn't you be really concerned about the reason your paycheck isn't doing the work that gets you paid? Yes. Like, you would fucking ask, bro. This guy is an asshole, and she should have never given him a second of her time and definitely not two and a half years. I'm yeah. so glad she's moving on by the end of our reading, but um, I don't know. Is this situation better? I can't wait to find out how this book ends because it's messy. <laughs> so messy. There's no good ending, but it's going to be messy no matter what. <laughs> so then they get into the conference room, and yeah, she says, still processing. She talks about how her mom has lived with her. And she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And she was on hospice for three months. And the last three months, Lowen was literally taking care of her for everything. Eating, drinking, turning her over in her bed. She mentions that she couldn't step foot outside for the last few weeks. And luckily, Wi-Fi connection and a credit card make it easy to live life completely indoors in Manhattan. Um, coincidentally, a pandemic will do that everywhere as well. Yeah, and I like this one. It made me think of you. Funny how one of the most populated cities in the world can double as a paradise for agoraphobic. Yes, that's one of my favorite lines of the book. I need to move. I need to move to Manhattan. That place is for me. Of course, she's sitting here just having all these creepy thoughts in her head, and Corey's like, are you okay? Because that's what you do in these situations. And she says she's fine. It helps that it was expected. But in the back of her head, she's thinking she's relieved that she's gone. Her mom only ever brought guilt to her life. Nothing less, nothing more. Just consistent guilt. And I think that this is a lot, like a lot of people have this relationship with their parents and that's sad. Yeah. It is. She ends up thinking about how her mom forced her into a two-bedroom apartment that she couldn't afford because her mom wanted to die with dignity in her own room with her own things. (laughs) And promised that when she died, everything left in her bank account would be left to Lowen to help her catch up because she hasn't been working. And she's just been living off what little advance she had from her last publishing contract. And her mom told her, like, right before she finally died that she didn't actually have any money. She lied. She felt like she had to lie in order to get her to agree to take care of her. And Lowen's thinking that just proves how disconnected they were from one another. And to me, that proves what a fucking cunt her mom was. Because, like, are you joking me? Like, so in my mind, her mom must have, I I, I can't even formulate sentences because, like, the the audacity of this bitch to take advantage of her daughter like that and leave her in such a situation that she's in now, like, she's getting evicted from her house is crazy. And, like, Lowen could have better prepared for this if she would have just told her. But her mom must have recognized that she treated Lowen so shittily that Lowen probably wouldn't really want to help her. But she even, least... says, she even says here she would have cared for her mother regardless of her financial situation. Yeah, because she's a better person than her mom is. Yeah. And her mom expected her to be a worse person than she was. So she expected her to be the person she raised her to be, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. She and... didn't deserve somebody to be by her bedside for nine months like that, but she got it. She One did. way or another. Makes me and, sad. And then on page seven, Corey asks if she needs a lawyer to go over the will. And Lowen says, all she left me was debt. Thanks mm-hmm. for the offer. Yep. And Corey knows her situation because of he's her literary agent. And he's the one that sends her the royalty checks. And he's like, you have a foreign royalty check coming soon to try and, like, cheer her up. 
Yeah. And she says, of course, I know this already. I know every single scent that's coming to me. Like she's probably living on cans of beans right now. I just feel like having somebody know that you're this close to being like evicted from your house and all this shit just feels so uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. that would just, just another trauma for the day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They end up talking about how she's not going to be able to get a contract with her, her publisher, the publisher she's been using because she doesn't want to do social media. She doesn't want to go on tour. She doesn't want to talk to the fans. She is actually kind of upset because she they had to take this meeting in person, and she's like, you know I don't like in-person meetings. I like to mm. do things over the email. And he's like, they requested the meeting, said they'd have a job they'd like to discuss with you, and they wouldn't yeah. give me any details over the phone. Corey's basically like, you need to take this job seriously, or you are not going to have a job. And that's basically the reality of her situation. And I have a note here because, like, this is the truth. This is you have to go on social media. You have to have a presence. You have to build your brand if you want to sell anything these days. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand her like not wanting to do this because there's real risk. And like once it's out there, it's out there. You can't take it back. And like that's what makes this job so like she has to fucking take it once Jeremy like puts his offer out on the table. Like because otherwise she's gonna have to go do everything she doesn't want to do or get a fucking job, a day job. She says. Ugh. And then she won't have any time to do writing. Exactly. She has to sign an NDA in this meeting. Yeah, that's what he's saying. If they even want to talk about what the potential job is, they have to sign an NDA. So that's like, ooh, what's going on? They still have some time because Corey told her to get there 30 minutes early because he doesn't believe she can adult on her own. So, of course, Lowen is still thinking about their weird relationship. And... I fucking hate their whole relationship. Apparently, he read her book and, like, fell in love with the her that he thought she was based on, like, her characters and her writing. So when he met her, he already, like, liked her. And they hooked up the first day that they met. I assume the reason Lowen wanted to hook up with him is because she had had a a hard time finding an agent. Nobody had even responded to her. This was the first person who responded to her. So I'm wondering if it was kind of like she felt like she had to hook up with, like, sort of like a me too. Well, maybe. I was kind of thinking she was just so, like, relieved that somebody was finally noticing her. And I just felt like they both went in for the wrong reasons. But that could definitely be it too. The top of page 21, like, basically sums up their, their fucking meeting. Like, the whole beginning of their relationship. His email came in on a Thursday, Thursday morning. We were having an in-depth phone conversation about my manuscript two hours later. By Friday afternoon, we met for con- coffee and signed a contract. By Saturday night, we had fucked three times. And do you know what this kind of reminds me of? <laughs> what? Jeremy and Verity. Oh, I think that too! All the ladies in this book move fast. I love it. <laughs> Empowering women. These ladies, though, they've got some dark sides. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about it. This, this, this is a book I, I just haven't read anything like this before. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to see where it goes. (laughs) Me too. I keep getting sidetracked by the potentials that's coming from all these little stories. She basically figures out very fast that this isn't going to work out between her and him because Corey isn't the person her character, or Lowen isn't the person that her character was based on, and they weren't compatible. And she was an emotionally challenging puzzle he wasn't up for solving, and she wasn't interested in being solved. 
She sounds like me like seven years ago. <laughs> she said as difficult as it was being in a relationship with him, it was surprisingly easy being his client, which is why she didn't chew, didn't switch agencies after their breakup because he's been very loyal and unbiased when it comes to her career. Mm-hmm. And so then she asks her, are you nervous? Yeah. <laughs> she's just sitting here thinking all this crazy shit. I'm sure she looks crazy. Also, she just washed a stranger's blood off her face in a bathroom with paper towels and not disinfect it. So, yeah, she's fucking frazzled. She says, it's been two hours since I left my apartment this morning, but feels like more has happened in that two hours than the rest of the entire year. I looked down at my hands, arms, searching for traces of blood. It's no longer there, but I can still feel it, smell it. She's feeling like she shouldn't have come because all this is just very stressful, but she realizes offers are not pouring in and she'll have to get a jade job if she doesn't get something soon. And like you said, she won't be able to write. And that is the starving artist predicament. Corey pulls out a handkerchief. I don't know how I just blew past this line. Why does he have a handkerchief? He doesn't seem like a person who carries a handkerchief. He seems like a douche. Well, he seems like he sweats a lot. That's probably why. Because he <laughs> he's nervous he, a lot. <laughs> he only sweats when he's nervous. And he asks her, do we need a secret signal if you're not interested in whatever the offer is? She's like, let's listen to what they have to say. And then we can request to speak in private. Why does she say that and not him? He's a terrible fucking agent, and the entire time he's in the picture, I'm like, why are we paying him 15%? Yeah. He's not doing 15%. I'm so pissed. You're going to hear me complain about this 15%. I'll just bring it down now. I'm going to bring it up later, okay? It's, okay. it's going to keep bubbling back up. Good. So, finally, he's like, let me do the talking. She says she planned to anyways, and now he notices that she's wearing something weird. She, like, lies about what happened to it. She just doesn't fucking like him and doesn't trust him. And it's because he's a slimy dick. And she doesn't know, he doesn't catch her joke when she's like, doesn't this look high fashion? It's funny because she, he was like, what happened? She goes, I spilled coffee on my other shirt this morning and had to change. Whose shirt is that? Probably yours. It was in my closet. You left your house in that? There wasn't something else you could have worn? He's a dick. <laughs> like, her mom died last week. You're lucky she has clothes on. Yeah. She could have just not showered. Yeah, and she says he's an asshole, but he's good in bed. I could go off here, but I shan't. (laughs) She's right. She gives really good dating advice, and it makes me feel like she's had some really shitty boyfriends. (laughs) That's how you give good dating advice. (laughs) So finally, the people that they're supposed to meet walk in, and I love this. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) God damn it, Baron. So the lady, like, meeting, leading the meeting, walks in and then right on her heels is an older man who's walking so close behind her he bumps into the back of her and to me that's just older men in the office with you they always just have to be up in your biz and it's not just in the office it's in the freaking grocery store they're the ones reaching across her face to grab a gallon of milk when there's one in front of them like oh and she's like god damn it baron and (laughs) that he just becomes god damn it baron to Lowen, (laughs) and we we hear that so many times and i love it and Jeremy enters last, giving Lowen an unnoticeable head nod. She notices how everyone is dressed and notices the red lipstick that Amanda, is her name, is wearing. And that'll come up later, funnily to me. But Jeremy did give her a nod when he came in, and then he just shakes her hand and pretends nothing weird happened between them this morning. And thank fucking God, because I wouldn't want to talk about it with a bunch of strangers either. Mm-hmm. 
And so then they just cut to the chase. Chase Amanda pulls out a briefcase, says our author is unable to fill a contract due to medical reasons. Now we want an author that has experience in the same genre. And they thought of Lowen Ashley because they have similar writing styles. Yeah. And of course they have to um, sign an NDA before they'll say who the author is, but they sign it and they tell her, they tell them it's Verity Crawford. And apparently Verity is very fucking popular. I, at this point, am really surprised that she hadn't put it together at this point because if Verity is so famous and she knew Jeremy was Jeremy Crawford and she was meeting with him, I don't know. I feel like she should have put it together by this point, but maybe she doesn't write um, mysteries. Maybe. (laughs) They're probably trying to play it cool. Like, we're familiar with the name. And Amanda just lets them know they want somebody to step in and finish the series. They want somebody to do book tours, press releases, and whatever else is normally required of Verity. They want to keep Verity's privacy as protected as possible, but give her credit and just have this new person be like, quote unquote, co-author. Of course, Corey looks straight at Lowen like, you know, she doesn't fucking want to do this. She says she's so awkward. She's afraid once her readers meet her in person, they'll swear off my books forever, she says. I feel exactly like this. (laughs) I thought it was funny. She got one email that said she was a stuck-up bitch after reading, and she uh, just does not go out and do readings anymore after that. (laughs) She said, that's why I stay home and write. I think the idea is better of me than the reality of me. This sounds like some real depression. Yeah. A therapist could probably identify better what it is, but I don't know. It's something mentally not healthy, for sure. Yeah, she should probably get help, but she probably doesn't have money to get help. So, of course, uh, Corey wants to know how much money it is because he gets 15% of that paycheck, baby. And God damn it, Baron lets them know that it's going to be 75000 per book. And Lauren is like, that's a lot of money! Uh, but she doesn't want to take that much money for what they want th- to go out and have her face on this very famous person's book. That's the opposite of everything she's ever want- wanted. And Corey is like, well, I want more money than that. And he's like, I'm assuming pay is negotiable. And even though Lowen is trying to catch his attention and get him to shut the fuck up because she's not accepting this, goddammit, Baron is like, um, with all due respect, fuck you. Don't ask for more money. And that's all you're going to be getting. I'm paraphrasing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're doing a hell of a job. Thank you. That's basically what he says. He says the offer is for three books. 75000 per book, which comes to a total of $225,000. And, of course, they start talking about, like, time frames, blah, 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 contracts, whatever. They want the first book submitted in six months. Yeah, and Lowen's not even paying attention. She's just watching Amanda because now she has red lipstick smeared on her teeth. The worst. <laughs> the worst is like I wonder if she checked before she went in and it was fine and then talking. Like you gotta do the finger trick. You gotta put the finger in and pull it out so the inside, you know, doesn't get your teeth. Mm-hmm. That's what you gotta do. Lowen's just sitting here like, I'm not taking this. This conversation is pointless, but she's watching Corey doing the math in his head. Basically it comes out to thirty four thousand dollars for him just for like being in this meeting. And she would have to do everything else. And he's ready to push her into this. She says, well, I appreciate the offer. I really do. I don't want to do this. There are better offers who would be a better fit. Then Corey's like, 
I'd like a moment to discuss with my client. And this is where he really pissed me off because like, he's going to make 34K for a half hour meeting. She's going to have to change her entire life for after taxes, probably $100,000. Yeah. I, I don't feel like that's worth it. No, 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 no. What a grimy asshole. Maybe he can take 5% and then we can talk. Yeah. And so Amanda, goddamn it, Baron, start to leave after they, or they excuse themselves. And she's like, the terms are detailed in your folders. We have two other writers in mind. If this doesn't seem like it would be a good fit for you. Amanda shakes her hand. If you have any questions, reach out. And she says, thanks. And then Jeremy was like, wait, can we, ha- can we talk in private? And Corey kind of is annoyed that Jeremy is asking him to leave. At the bottom of page 27, she says he looks at Corey, but not for permission. It's more of a dismissal. And my note here is Jeremy is hot. <laughs> Dismiss his bitch ass. Jeremy, get him the fuck out of here. <laughs> and he looks at Lowen like, can you believe this guy? And Lowen's like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Go on and scuttle along, you little fucker. Get on out of here. And Lowen says, I'm craving to be alone in this room with Jeremy. Oh, man, that is not good. She's already counting the amount of times they've been alone together. This is the third time if she counts the elevator. Jeremy just says, Jesus, are meetings with publishers always this stiff? And this is when Lowen's like, I don't know. I do these things over email. (laughs) I love this. This is like a running joke in, like, the business world. Like, this meeting could have been an email. It's funny. It it is funny, but also not funny because, like, stop wasting my fucking time, especially when you only pay $2 for it. Yeah. And he's like, I can see why. And then he, they're talking about it some more, and she's, like, asking questions. And he's like, what do you want to know? And she's like, a ton. Why can't your wife finish the series? And he tells her that she was in a car accident. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear. So this is another trauma that he's facing. He just told Lone about his daughter dying in the bathroom. And now he's telling her about his wife being in a serious car accident. And he said that he wasn't on board with the idea of someone else finishing out her contract because he hoped that she would fully recover. But there we are. She tries to turn him down again. And he basically tells her what to ask for. He actually says he gave her name to the publishers because his wife had read Open Ended, which was her first book. And it was one of her favorite books. She said she was going to be the next big thing. And that's like such a huge fucking compliment, isn't it? It would be like Mm -hmm. if Michael Hobbs and Sarah Marshall told us we were going to be the next big thing. Like that's, that's the equivalency I'm drawing here. Yes. Yes. I, okay. All of my, I I would be like, okay, I'm doing it. Thank you. Whatever you guys, I will write these books, whatever you want to pay me. You can pay me nothing. (laughs) Yes. So anyways, but then yeah, they talk about it. They talk about the chronics. I talk about, talked about earlier. Verity made up that term. Maybe he opens up even more. He's being very vulnerable. He says, Mm -hmm. I think Verity may have made up that term after our daughters died. And then she's like, daughters? And he inhales and says, yeah, twins. We lost Chaston six months before Harper passed. He says, some families are lucky enough to never experience a single tragedy, but then there are those families that seem to have tragedies waiting on the back burner. What can go wrong goes wrong and then gets worse. I relate to these people a lot. They talk about um, a neighbor she had in Richmond who lost all three of his family members in less than two years. His son died in combat. His wife died six months later of cancer. Then his daughter died in a car wreck. And Jeremy's like, where's the man now? And Lowen knows that the man killed himself because he couldn't take everything. 
And she didn't want to say that to Jeremy because he is grieving a lot of shit, not just the death of his daughters, but his wife's car accident. And she lies to him and says he lives in the same town. He remarried and has stepkids and grandchildren. And she knows Jeremy knows that she's lying, but he seems appreciative that she did. So then he tells her that she's going to need to spend some time in Verity's office going through her things, just assuming she's going to take the job. And she's like, no, I'm not taking it. And he's like, listen, God damn it, Baron is lowballing you. Tell your agent to ask for half a million. Tell him to do it. Tell them that you'll do it with no press, under a pen name, and with an ironclad non-disclosure. That way, whatever it is you're trying to hide can stay hidden. And she's like, I'm not hiding anything other than my awkwardness. But before she can say anything, he's moving toward the door. And then he goes, we live in Vermont. I'll give you the address after you sign the contract. So he's already like, he knows that she's going to do it. I like that he doesn't give people the option to say no. Yeah, Jeremy gets what he wants. And if he wasn't so fucking hot, it would be annoying. <laughs> yes. And then Corey goes, I don't like him. As he comes back into the room, what did he say to you? And she says, simple. He said they're lowballing me to ask for half a million with no publicity. And then Corey chokes on air, grabs a bottle of water, takes a drink. Shit. Corey doesn't give a fuck about jeremy he's jealous he wants to have this easy access to lowen that he's had for two and a half years so fuck him <laughs> yes that's the end of chapter two uh this is a huge windfall for her but man once she moves into verity's house ah it would be so creepy to live there we're not there yet though we start chapter three uh finding out about a boyfriend she had in her early 20s named amos who liked being choked i've never met a man who liked being choked before i i always thought it was just men liked choking but anyways (laughs) she refused to choke him though so she thinks they broke up because of that (laughs) she says in your early 20s vanilla sex should satisfy a person without the need to introduce fetishes so early on in the relationship i don't necessarily agree with that but like if you don't want to choke and they want to be choked like yeah that's not going to work out so good good job leaving but this is what she likes to think about when she's disappointed with the current state of her life because like it could be worse she could be with that weird motherfucker who likes being choked (laughs) it could and then this is when we find out that she's getting evicted and Corey also finds out because he brings her the notice yeah they walk up to their apartment she hadn't been expecting him to come back which tells me um you know, this is the first red flag that he's trying to bone right now. Mm-hmm. And so he walks up to the door and sees the notice first. And she casually thinks right here, this is the third day in a row she's received one. She's glad he doesn't mention it, but so awkward. This is how, how many bad things have happened today now? I don't know. I, I lost count. A she's lot. Thinking, it's like a series of unfortunate events. It literally is. And she thinks she can always pawn what's left of her mother's things. Fucking sad, man. Fucking sad. I, I don't even know what to think about that. I didn't take any, like, notes on the next two page because I was just really grossed out by what was going on here. Yeah, so he walks into her apartment, starts taking off his jacket, loosening his tie, which is stuff that he used to do when they would hang up. Um, She did what all women do and stalked his social media and found out that he went on a few dates with a woman named Rebecca. And so... She stopped their sexual relationship out of respect for the girl who wasn't aware of the relationship. So she asks, how's Becca? And Corey stops undressing himself. He was going to cheat on her. Like, no fucking questions asked. He, 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 well, I mean, he wasn't going to because Lowen wasn't going to have it. But that was his intention. Yeah. Nasty. 
I write suspense novels, Corey. Don't be su surprised that I know about your girlfriend. Okay, so she does write suspense novels. How did she not deduce that Jeremy Crawford was Verity Crawford's husband? Maybe she just wasn't <laughs> thinking about it. It was a traumatic she wasn't. morning. It was those abs and that yes. head popping. God dang it. Yes. She's just letting Corey know it feels weird to drink about this um, when it isn't her book and it isn't her character's. This he is, basically tells her, don't focus on why you're playing the game. Just focus on the finish line. That's all Corey ever focuses on. He's a real douchebag. I would not be able to stop thinking about that, my personal self. But yeah, they start talking about how have they read either of her books? And Corey says, no, she's not my style. And she looks up at him just as he realizes that his words double as an insult to her own writing, considering I was offered this job of our supposed similar writing styles. <laughs> <laughs> he's a dick he's an inconsiderate dick yeah and then he he changes the subject to what are you gonna do when you move out your eviction notice says you only have two days like why is this guy still talking fucking leave Corey. and he's asking if she has a plan and she goes i have a storage building and a plan to have most of it out by tomorrow she put in an application at an apartment complex but they don't have anything for two weeks and so since she's leaving for verity crawford's house on sunday she doesn't really have, like, a plan. That's her plan. And Corey hadn't known that this was part of the plan, that she was going to go look at the notes at Verity's house. He's worried that she's going to go stay at their house. He's like, don't you think it's weird that uh, this dude lived with his wife and two daughters and now they're all just slowly dying off? And it freaks her out. But um, I think that he's just trying to scare her because he's jealous as fuck. That's what I wrote. That's what I Me put too. in my note. <laughs> Me too. Like, what a dick. But it freaks her out a little bit. We find out that she has been really doing some research about them online. And they, she found out that their first child um, died at a sleepover 15 miles away. With She had an allergic reaction. Neither parent were there when it happened. And the second daughter drowned in the lake behind their home. But Jeremy didn't get there until they were already searching for the body. So it couldn't have been him. And Corey's like, well, what about Verity's car wreck? And he says that there weren't any skid marks, which means she either fell asleep or did it on purpose. In the back of my head, I'm thinking about the guy from Lowen's hometown who killed himself after everybody in his family died. And that made me wonder if she tried to kill herself. That's what I was wondering. If we're both thinking it must be true, right? We'll find yeah. out, I guess. Yeah. She's irritated with them making baseless claims. And tells him, you need to worry about the contractual details and I'll worry about the research and writing part of it. And basically, like, fucking kicking him out. And she realizes that he knew her mom was dying. He hadn't checked on her in two months. And he's not looking out for her. He's an ex-boyfriend who thought he was going to get laid tonight, but was instead quietly rejected right before finding out I'll be staying in another man's home. He's disguising his jealousy as concern. And Absolutely true. It, it is true. And as he's walking up the door, he says, for what it's worth, congratulations. Whether you created the series or not, your writing led you to it. You should be proud of that. And then she's like, I hate when he says nice things at the height of my irritation. Ugh, and he's he like, text me when you get there on Sunday. He finally fucking leaves. And she feels like their relationship is finally as it should be. Agent and author, nothing more. And thank fucking God, because I hate Tim. I hate that he's making money from this i hate how much money he's making from it like yeah he's gonna go spend it on becca and act like he wasn't gonna cheat on her yeah Ugh. anyway gross 
yeah, that's the end of chapter three, and we are in chapter four, and we're driving to Vermont to Verity Crawford's house, and she is listening to uh, one of Verity's novels on book on tape, and apparently it's really fucking good. <laughs> And she is very nervous that she cannot keep up. She's saying, maybe the other five suck. I can hope. <laughs> but they're probably going to be amazing. And then she says, her writing process is, one, start the book and hate everything I write. Two, keep writing the book despite hating everything I write. Three, finish the book and pretend I'm happy with it. <laughs> uh, she needs a therapist <laughs> so she badly. Does. She does. She needs to speak some positive thoughts into herself. And she says there's never been a point in her writing process where she's felt like she's accomplished what she set out to accomplish or believe that what she's written, everyone needs to read. She says, most of the time, I cry in the shower and stare at my computer screen like a zombie, wondering how so many authors can promote their books with so much confidence. This is the greatest thing since the last book I wrote. You should read it. She says that she's an awkward writer who posts a picture of her book and says, it's an okay book. There are words in it. Read it if you want. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> this is why I won't be able to be an author. <laughs> this is just so funny. And you know what? I really don't think that people are like that confident that this is the greatest book and everybody should read it. I just think that maybe typing that over and over like makes them think it more and more. Yeah. So maybe she should try it. Yeah. She should. She's really scared of this. She just feels like this is going to be the hardest writing experience she's ever had. And since it's going to be in Verity's name, lots of people are going to read it. And lots of people will know that she sucks. <laughs> well, that's what she is scared of anyway. She's saying Jeremy didn't clarify the extent of Verity's injuries when they were in the meeting. So she has no idea if she's injured beyond the point of communication. And that there, she went to Google it online, and there was nothing about the car wreck online. The publisher released a statement saying Verity received non-life-threatening injuries. Then two weeks ago, they released another statement saying she was recovering peacefully at home. But her editor, Amanda, said they wanted to keep the extent of her injuries out of the media. <sighs> this is all because the publishers want their money that they were promised. Yes. And at this point, I'm assuming that Verity is in a coma, and somehow it's so much worse than that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking at this time, too. Lowen's really freaking out because she's not looking for her 15 minutes of fame. She never really wanted this kind of attention. She needs money, though. She mentions that she spent all of her money renting the car that she has and putting her things in storage. And this is just her life, sort of homeless, living out of a suitcase after the last of her immediate family members passed away. She thinks, can it get worse? And she thinks, well, I could be married to Amos right now, so life could <laughs> always be worse. And I guess as long as you dodge that Amos bullet, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she, she says she has to stop looking at her life through her mother's glasses. Yes. And she's she like, really once does. I get the advance on these novels, everything will start to look up. I'll no longer be between apartments. As she's thinking that she's finally winding down the road that uh, leads to the Crawford house, and they live in a fucking estate. There's a winding road, like, lined with trees, and they finally, like, turn in, and there's a giant, like, two brick columns on each side of the driveway, and it says the driveway never seems to end. Finally gets up to the house after going through the security gates and all that stuff, and she starts describing how dark the house looks. And she did stalk the home online before showing up. And oh, she yeah. said they bought it five years ago for two and a half million, and now it's worth over three million. She mentions that 
um, her mom used to say that houses have a soul. And if that's true, the soul of Verity Crawford's house is as dark as they come. And do you remember the synopsis? It mentions that she's reading the autobiography and it's page after page of bone-chilling admissions. Yeah. I just couldn't help but think, if the synopsis is any indication, Verity's soul matches this house. Yep, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking of the house, like, dark. I, I think it's, they say it's covered in ivy. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's dark. Yeah. I mean, it might be big and beautiful, worth over $3 million now that they've put some things into it. But she's feeling really insecure because like her car doesn't match the house she bought the she rented the cheapest car that she could and she's like Verity has probably never set foot in a Kia Soul she (laughs) wrecked a Range Rover and like yeah that society tells you that you should feel uncomfortable about that but you don't have to no and so as she parks a kid is just standing in front of her car and she turns and screams he doesn't laugh he just stares don't they they just walk up to the window and look at you motherfuckers they really and she's like it seems even creepier than if he just scared me on purpose and she's describing him as a miniature version of jeremy the same mouth same green eyes and she read in one of the articles that Verity and jeremy had three kids so this must be their little boy she says do you live here and he says yes And then she mutters, must be nice. And he says, used to be. And that is so fucking sad, isn't it? Yeah. But then immediately this little asshole goes into the house. Like, she follows him into the house. And he slams the door in her face. And she's ringing the bell as he's walking the way. And she's like, he's like, no thanks. (laughs) (laughs) My God. So anyway, she finally busts out her phone and texts Jeremy. And he comes down and gets her in his gray sweatpants. And um, he's looking a little nervous. And she's like, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one feeling nervous. Mm-hmm. <sighs> she says she doesn't like the buzz rushing through her when she notices him in his sweatpants and blue shirt and shoes with no socks. And I'm like, you're in trouble, lady. She is. And that's when we find out that Jeremy's son name is Crew. Yeah. And he is a little asshole because he was upstairs and he told Crew to get the door and he says, guess he didn't hear me. But that little motherfucker was right there at the door. actively ignoring what was happening on purpose (laughs) actively and he asks Lowen Jeremy asks Lowen if she has a suitcase and she's like yeah I'll just get it later it's in the back of my car and he's like is your car unlocked and she's like yeah and then he puts on freaking shoes and goes and gets her suitcase like a man without being asked yes while she's waiting for him to fetch her things she's just looking around and comparing how the house looks compared to how it looked on whatever white website she was looking at (laughs) and she really hasn't memorized she does there are two ovens and a refrigerator with a glass door it sounds like a really nice house they redid the kitchen so that's probably what increased it by half a million or Mm -hmm. part of it and now the kid is drinking a soda and he's struggling to twist open the lid and she ends up opening it for him thinking i can't believe this kid was such an asshole I, I can't believe I thought he was an asshole. He looks so sweet. His hands are so tiny. Can't op- even open a bottle of soda yet. And then Jeremy comes in and is like, you're not even supposed to be having soda. I told you no already. You're supposed to be in the shower. <laughs> Don't trust this kid. <laughs> he lies. <laughs> and I had that suspicion about this kid already. Like, kids can be cute and assholes at the same time. Both things can be true. <laughs> true. As someone with a three-year-old, that is true. 
<laughs> yeah. Never trust that kid. Never trust a three-year-old, probably. Sneaky little monsters. They be doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and so Jeremy is like, oh, you can sleep in the master bedroom. We all sleep upstairs close to Verity anyway. Bottom of 49. I know. They get I know her exactly in the bedroom. what you're talking about. And she looks around the room. She says it all feels so bizarre, especially that she's going to be sleeping in their bed. Her eyes are pulled to the headboard, specifically to the teeth marks bitten into the top edge of the headboard in the center of the bed. She tears her... She tears her eyes away before Jeremy catches her looking. He'll probably see all over her face that she's wondering which one of them had to bite the headboard in order to keep quiet during sex. Have I ever had sex that intense? My note right here is if you have to ask, the answer is no. (laughs) Man, leaving teeth marks in wood, you're biting that shit hard as fuck. Just saying. Yeah. (laughs) That's wild. She's going to sleep in that bed. Yeah. Yeah. All the juices. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything's in there. All the memories. And she really is going to have some memories because now we know she's, she's reading the manuscript and uh, Verity does not leave details out. No. She really wants to beg him to find a lock, but she doesn't want to be more intrusive than she already is. And, like, I would fucking want a lock, too. It's scary there. It's a scary. big house. And you don't yeah. know these people. No. So, as they're walking to meet Verity, because he wants yeah. to introduce Verity, uh, Verity's nurse to Lowen, he asks her what her pen name is going to be, and she goes, oh, I have no idea. So then they do the good old Facebook game, what street did you grow up on? She's like, Laura Lane. He goes, what's the name of your first pet? Chase. And he goes, Laura Chase. I like it. He used the porn star quiz to get her a pen name, and they're (laughs) just going to go with it because he didn't have any other idea. And um, he points out Crew's bedroom. He points out his bedroom. They all sleep, like, right next door to each other upstairs. And then he opens up the door to Verity's room and she sees her laying there on the bed with the nurse putting socks on her feet. Cruz there holding an iPad and Verity's just laying there. Her eyes are vacant, uninterested in her surroundings. She's unaware of the nurse, unaware of me, of Crew, of Jeremy as he leans over and brushes hair from her forehead. She blinks, but there's nothing else there. No recognition of the man she had three children with. Ugh. This is worse than a coma to me because like a coma, they're like sleeping. But this is yeah. like... She's a vegetable. And they're just, like, moving her around and acting like she's not a vegetable. But what are you supposed to do? Mm Mm-hmm. And so the nurse says, she seemed tired, so I thought I'd put her to bed early tonight. This is where we kind of find out that Jeremy does, like, half the nurse work. Like, she gives her her after-dinner meds, and then the nurse is going to leave, and Jeremy's going to take care of her later meds. And this is where we kind of get the vibes that the nurse, April, doesn't really like Lowen. She looks her up and down and is like, I thought you'd be older, and is kind of not happy that she's not older. Lowen feels like it's an accusation, and I think it's supposed to be an accusation, too. I and think so, too. April just leaves. Whatever. That's it. She doesn't feel good about Verity's situation, and I don't think I would either. She's thinking she wouldn't want to live in this condition, and now Jeremy is tied to this life. It's also depressing this house, the tragedy the families has had in the past, struggles in their present. Something super cute happens after this. She's thinking and seeing all the sad stuff. And Jeremy's like, crew, don't make me do it. I told you to shower. And crew doesn't get off the bed. So Jeremy counts to three and then grabs 
crew by his ankles and holds him upside down and says, upside down night it is. And he looks over at Lowen and says, Laura, how many seconds can a kid hang upside down before their brain flips over and they can't, and they start talking backwards. And she says, I heard 20 seconds, but it could be 15. So crew says, no, I'll go shower. I don't want my brain to be upside down. And uh, hot, fun, good dad. Jeremy needs to fucking stop it. He needs, yeah. He's married. He needs to stop. <sighs> so she says she watches crew rush out the door into his bedroom across the hall. And she says watching Jeremy interact with crew makes the house seem a little more welcoming. That's when we find out that crew is just five years old. Jeremy turns on the TV for Verity. That's and they weird. go. I know she's just getting babysat by the TV, but this TV being on and off comes up later and I'm freaked out about it. So yeah, this is when we find out that. Jeremy moved upstairs to be near Crew's bedroom because he was scared to be up by Verity at night. So now they're just all upstairs. And basically, Lowen's going to have the run of the house downstairs because everybody sleeps upstairs. And now we get to go see Verity's office. And it's floor-to-ceiling bookshelves with books tucked into every vacant crevice, boxes lining the walls, the desk. It extends from one end of the room to the other with two computers. Yeah. He says she wasn't the most organized person of all time. And he said that he would attempt to organize it himself, but it's all Greek. He starts talking about how she was always taking notes, writing down thoughts. She'd write ideas on napkins, dialogue in the shower, on waterproof notepads. She once used a Sharpie to write down character names on the bottom of Crew's diaper. We were at the zoo and she didn't have a notepad. And he just obviously really loves her. Yeah, you can tell. That's very sweet. I hope that Matt talks about me like this. Matt, if you're listening. You better talk about Brandy like this. Get your life together. Anyway, he says, I didn't want to laugh when you said you might not need to stay the night, but in all honesty, this might take you more than two days. If it does, you're welcome to stay as long as you need. She's just looking around, and it fucking looks like she's going to have to. He starts asking if she's read the series yet, and we know that she's listened to an audiobook, but she doesn't want to admit that, so she says no. And he admits that he's never read any of them either, not since her first book. He says he doesn't like being inside her head. Remember in the beginning of the book when Lowen was talking about how Corey fell in love with, like, not her, this other her? I wonder if Colleen Hoover, the person actually writing this book, feels like this. Because I feel like this is the second time this sort of idea has been brought up. That's what I'm wondering, too. So, anyways. And then then Lowen even says, unable to separate the world his wife creates from the one she lives in. At least Jeremy seems to be a little more self-aware than Corey was. And so I feel like, I wonder if Colleen has had a life experience similar to this. Right. Or she probably does a lot. Like with every new person she's met that's read her shit before they meet her. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. And you know what? Actors probably have that kind of thing too. Yeah. And maybe like everybody in the United States, because we're kind of like trained to always be professional and be polite and like even if it means you can't really say what you need to say because it might hurt somebody's feelings. So, you know what, kind of maybe everybody can feel this at some point. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. (laughs) Yeah, so Jeremy closes the door to Verity's office, and she settles into the desk. She said her desk chair alone probably costs more than a month's rent in Lowen's apartment, and she's like, I wonder how much easier it is to write for someone who has money to burn. Lowen says that normally she will write on her laptop with a missing key connecting to her neighbor's Wi-Fi. 
And she would sit at an old dining room table with a makeshift desk. That's just basically a folding table she orders from Amazon for 25 bucks. She said most of the time she doesn't even have money for paper and ink. This whole concept of just like everything being much easier if you have money is, it's just a fact. And it makes me really sad. It does. She said she takes the second book of the series off the shelf, shelf opening it, only intending to take a glance. And then she ends up reading it for three hours straight. So Verity is really fucking good at writing. Yeah. She said they have, she has really fucked up characters. Really fucked up characters. And she said, no wonder Jeremy wouldn't, can't read them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we know from the manuscript that Verity herself might be a little fucked up. And so she's just, like, looking around after her three-hour reading binge, and she's trying to find something about um, her new book. She doesn't want to read the old books yet. She wants to get into Verity's mindset about where she was going moving forward with her new books. And she finds a book called So Be It and realizes that it's not um, an outline for the seventh, seventh book like she's hoping. She realizes it's an autobiography. And she flips open a chapter one, and the first line says, Sometimes I think back on the night I met Jeremy and wonder, had we not made eye contact, would my life still end the same? So Lowen makes herself comfy on the couch and starts reading. And I think that's funny because, like, this is basically a diary, and you know you shouldn't read it, but she's, she's gonna. Yeah. She didn't just stand there and peruse a couple pages. She's like, let me sit down for this. And that ends that chapter, and we open up page 61 to the first page of So Be It by Verity Crawford. And I was so excited, like a book in a book. This is exciting. This reminds me of the comic in the comic in Mouse. Oh, yeah. The first page of So Be It by Verity Crawford is like the author's note. And she's talking about how she doesn't like autobiographies because for the same reason Lowen doesn't want to do press, people are just talking themselves up and she feels like that's not honest. If you're going to write an honest biography, people will walk away with an uncomfortable taste for the author because for the author, because no one is likable from the inside out. And this last little paragraph on page 61 was just, it scared me. I felt scared after. Mm -hmm. What you read will taste so bad at times, you'll want to spit it out. But you'll swallow those words and they will become part of you, part of your gut, and you will hurt because of them. Verity scares me. Me too. I put a note on page 62. It's like she knew Lowen was going to read the book. And she ends it with, yet even with my generous warning, you're going to continue to ingest my words because here you are, human, curious, carry on. And then we get chapter one of So Be It. Was it her destiny from the beginning to suffer such a tragic end? Or is, it my, tra- or is my tragic end a result of poor choices rather than fate? This makes me feel like she's suicidal when she's writing this. Yeah. Yeah. She said, of course, I haven't met my tragic end yet, or I wouldn't be able to recount what led to it. She says, nevertheless, it's coming. She can sense it just as she sensed Chaston's death. And just as she embraced her fate, she's going to embrace her own. She's basically talking about how she wasn't really lost before she met Jeremy, but she'd never really, like, been in love before Jeremy. She's had boyfriends, one-night stands, but never close to imagining her life with someone else until that moment basically she's going to a a charity gala to find a rich investor to fuck and she wanted some booze too she was three moscow mules deep and she saw jeremy crawford 
He looked rich, and it was a charity event after all. So, oh, she says, poor people don't show up to charity events unless they're serving the rich. And I like that. Eat the rich. Anyway, (laughs) they were just, like, making some flirty eye contact. And she's like, of course he's staring at me because I look hot as shit in this red dress I stole from Macy's. It was a fuckable dress, the kind of dress a man can easily bypass when he wants between your legs. The mistake women make when they choose their clothes for events like the one I was at is they don't think about them from the man's perspective. A woman wants her breasts to look good, her figure to be hugged, even if it means sacrificing comfort and wearing something impossible to remove. But when men look at dresses, they aren't admiring the way it hugs the hips or the cinch at the waist, or the fancy tie-up in the back. They're sizing up how easy it will be to remove. Will, be able to, will he be able to slip his hand up her thigh when they're seated next to each other at a table? Will he be able to fuck her in a car without the awkward mess of zippers and spanks? Will he be able to fuck her in the bathroom without having to remove her clothes completely? And the answer to my stolen red dress were yes, yes, and hell yes. And she realizes with her dress on, there was no way he would be able to leave the party without approaching her. And so she decides to stop paying attention to him because she was not the mouse. She was the cheese. <laughs> so that's fire dating advice in this book, like I've been saying. Yeah. He does Jer- eventually stand next to her at the bar and he tells the waiter to only give her water for the rest of the evening. And she's like, What? As soon as he did this, I knew exactly how it was going to end. And I was like, this cocky bastard. But tell the story, Kayla. Tell us. She says, I'm perfectly capable of deciding when I've had enough to drink. And Jeremy smirks at her. And he says, I'm sure you are. And she's like, I've only had three drinks all evening. He says, good. She stood straight up, called the bartender back over, and asked for another Moscow mule. Bartender says, sorry, I've been asked to serve you just water. She's like... I'm standing right here, but I don't know this man. He doesn't know me. I want another Moscow mule. And Jeremy again goes, she'll have water. And she's like, she was attracted to him, but his looks were fading with that chauvinistic attitude. So she goes to another bar and she orders a Moscow mule. And then he tells her what his reasoning was. He's like, I've been watching you since the moment you walked through the door. You've had three drinks in 45 minutes. And if you keep going at that rate, I won't feel comfortable asking you to leave with me. I'd much rather you make that choice while you're sober. A gentleman? Motherfucker. Ugh. She says his voice sounded like his throat was coated in honey. It is. It is. (laughs) From what I can tell. She says, could a man that good looking and presumably also rich be considerate? No, is the answer. He's not rich. (laughs) and then she's like i'll have water he says make it too (laughs) and that was that (laughs) um gosh i love this next paragraph (laughs) she's talking about how she likes everything about him she likes his voice she likes his confidence his teeth and she likes the stubble on his jaw it was the perfect length to scratch her thighs baby even scar them if he stayed down there long enough and i (laughs) love that line you naughty girl verity And then they finish their waters and walk out to his limousine. He held the back door open for her as she climbed inside. And it's very obvious a woman's been in there. It smells like perfume. There is a half-drunk bottle of champagne, and one of the glasses has red lipstick. And she says, who is this? Who is she? And why did he leave the party with me and not her? But she says she didn't care to ask those questions out loud because he was leaving with her, and that's all that really mattered. And um, that shit would matter to me. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) Me too. 
But anyways, they start like talking about how old they are and she's like messing with him and does not tell her, tell him exactly how old she is. And we find out later she's in grad school. But at this point I was like, is she a teenager? I was so scared. I was too. I was Uh too. But she's 22 and he's 27. He's just touching her knee at this point. Yeah. And she's asking where the driver is. And he says, he doesn't know. And then he says, this isn't my limousine. And she doesn't know if he's joking or not. But he's not. This is definitely not his fucking limousine. (laughs) And she says, he wasn't rich, but yet I still wanted to fuck him. (laughs) He said that he's an entry-level scrub and that he drove his Honda Civic there. Yeah. And she says, well, I clean offices in the city. I stole an invitation to this party out of trash can. I'm not even supposed to be here. They're just a little two peas in a pod with his Honda Civic and her stolen dress. And she says, I slid across the seat onto his lap because that's what dresses like mine were made for. And uh, <sighs> he likes that. He likes that. They start making out and he asks her name. And so she tells him her name and they just introduce each other, and then the driver of the limousine enters the car. And he's pissed. They gotta run for it. <laughs> and they take off until they get to Jeremy's Honda Civic, and Verity's like, is this really your car? And he does the little beeper thing. And it really is. <laughs> it really is. So then, um, I don't know, this is like a third of the way down on page 71. She says, he stared down at me, our mouse this close and I could swear he was already imagining what life with me would be like you can't look at somebody the way he looked at me with the entirety of his past without also imagining the future and that is some romantic shit but also I kind of think maybe she doesn't like that that's what I'm thinking too yeah and now they're making out again his fingers are in her hair his tongue is in her mouth and doesn't she go home with him oh yeah but first, oh, they go to steak and shake. Yes, he. She says he fed me before he fucked me. Classy, <laughs> so, classy, so classy. They're just so cute. She says she is about to make love for the first time, like not have sex. This was going to be with more than just her body, and she says it's amazing how different it felt with a person who used more than just their body. I involved my heart and my gut and my mind and my hope. I fell in that moment, not in love. I just fell. This is foreboding. It's dangerous. Yeah. She was standing on the edge of a cliff her whole life, and finally, after meeting Jeremy, she felt confident enough to jump. She felt confident she would keep flying. This is just real sweet. They end up just staying in his apartment and, like, boning and eating pizza and Chinese takeout and watching TV like people do when they first really, really like each other, you know? Yeah. And she said, we both called in sick to work on Monday, and by Tuesday, she was obsessed. Obsessed with his laugh, his cock, his mouth, his skill, his stories, his hands, his confidence. Everything. She needed to please him. She ends it. Yeah, saying, he loved me more than he loved anyone or anything. I was a sole reason for living. Until he discovered the one thing that meant more to him than I did. What do you think it is? Because it might be kids, but I kind of think it might be, like, her character in her first book. I was thinking maybe money. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe. Because he hasn't really had any. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Well, um, that's all we get from Verity's book for now. We're back in Chapter 5 with Lowen. And... She feels very awkward coming here and reading the manuscript. She says it's like she surpassed the underwear drawer and she's going straight for the silk and lace. 
she's well aware she shouldn't be reading this. She definitely can see herself getting sidetracked by this, but she shouldn't. And I would definitely get fucking sidetracked. I wouldn't have stopped. I would have kept going. I didn't want to stop now. I had half a mind to just go through and find all the Verity chapters in here. (laughs) I won't do that, though. Don't. Don't. So she looks at her phone, and she said that she arrived around 7. It's now after 11. And she says that she didn't hear anything outside of her office, so she thinks it's soundproof. Yeah, so she walks out and finds out it definitely is soundproof because she hears what sounds like the creaking of a bed, like somebody's having sex upstairs. And she is creeped the fuck out because she read an article once about a woman in a coma and she lived in a nursing home and her husband came to visit her every day and the staff found out he was having sex with her unconscious body. That would be something that a man man does. Of course. And I I feel like this shit does happen. And I don't know if it's husbands, but I feel like I've heard about hospital staff getting coma patients pregnant. Mm -hmm. So she's freaked out. And she's standing there at the bottom of the stairs, like, listening, like, should I do anything? And then somebody says, it's noisy. I know. And it's Jeremy. And he's down there not committing rape. So thank fucking God. Uh, he's told her that he could turn it off if it bothers her, and she's like, oh, you scared me. We find out that the hospital bed is on a timer, so every two hours it lifts a different part of the mattress to take weight off her pressure points. And, and I just wish someone loved me this much. Right? Like, ugh. she's like, they make beds like that? Because she used to have, her, have to move her mom around on her own, and she said it was hell. And Jeremy's like, yeah, they're obscenely obscenely expensive, though. Several thousand for a brand new one, and insurance wouldn't cover it. And then he tells her he's heating up leftovers. It's pizza. And she says, perfect. And then thinks, I hate pizza. And that's so fucking weird. Red flag, Lowen. Who who hates pizza? I do. And I even put a (gasps) note. Remember when pizza was a personality trait? (laughs) You hate pizza? I do. I do. Oh, man. I mean, like, I'll eat it, but like, it's not my first go to. I'm living on pizza right now. I love it almost every night. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> how gosh. am I not fat? <laughs> he gives her the plate that he was making and makes himself uh, his own plate. And she's obviously like thinking about the chapter she just read because, like, how could you not? And he's telling her how he stays up pretty late and he gives. Verity her medicine at midnight and they're just like kind of bonding over both being night owls. She's like oh did she ever talk to you about the series like writing characters and he goes if she did I can't remember before she had wrecked it had been a while since she'd written anything or even talked about writing but little did he know that she was writing this autobiography and she asked how long ago the wreck was and he's like not long after Harper died uh she was in a medically induced coma for a while then went into intense rehabilitation center for several weeks and that she's only been home for a few weeks now once Chastain died the first child I don't think she ever went back to writing that other book I think she's been writing her manuscript this whole time I think so, too. And then that's when she asks how Jeremy and Verity met. And Jeremy tells her the same story. And he, it makes him happy. And it's very cute. But it confirms that Verity did not make that shit up. It's really funny that he says she had a really nice dress on. She was so beautiful. But Verity says it was a fuckable dress. Jeremy's just a gentleman. (laughs) Jeremy's recounting of the story is just much nicer. Verity says... 
for three days, we fucked, we ordered pizza, we fucked, we ordered Chinese, we fucked, we watched TV, and he says, we were inseparable. <laughs> <laughs> and then he touches on something that we learn in the next chapter of Verity's book, that he had to take a temporary position in Los Angeles while she was in grad school, mm-hmm. and that's when she wrote her first book, and then when she came back, he said, our lives changed so fast. And Lowen asked, how'd she handle fame? And he goes, I think it was harder for me than it was for her. And Lowen says, is it because you like being invisible? And he says, is it that obvious? Yeah, it is obvious to her because she feels the same way. Mm-hmm. But Verity loved the spotlight and all the fancy events. And Jeremy says that he was fine being home with the kids and then once he realized that he said kids he changed it to with crew that makes me so sad he's talking about how hard it is remembering they aren't here anymore and how he still finds their hairs on the sofa or their socks in the dryer or he yells out to them because he wants to show them something and doesn't remember that they're not going to come running down the stairs yep and then Lowen shares her own sad story about how sometimes she still makes breakfast for her mom And then Jeremy says, I wonder how long it lasts or if it'll be this way or if it'll always be this way. And then Lowen says, I think if you moved, it'll help. And then he's like, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want traces. I don't want to live somewhere where there aren't any traces of Harper and Chastin. Yeah. And I totally get that. And I can't believe she had the balls to suggest that he moved because like, I I would wait a while to suggest that a grieving parent move out of the house that they raised the children that died in. Yeah. So, um... They finish eating. They sit, say goodnight. He has to go give Verity her meds. So she goes to bed and she needs to shower, but she says she can fit in one more chapter before she sleeps. She has to. And I'm like, yes, one more chapter. This is so bad. One more chapter. <laughs> and since there isn't a lock on the door, she pushes a wooden chest from the foot of the bed to the door, blocking it off. Yeah, she, she should have asked for a lock. They're fucking rich. They can get a lock. Yeah. Uh, And now we're into chapter two of Verity's book. So be it. And she's just talking about how she could write entire novels about the first two years they dated, but they wouldn't sell because there was no drama, no tragedies. Just two years of saccharine love and adoration between us. She was addicted to him. Codependent AF. She starts talking about how, I can't believe she did this crazy shit. She basically moved into Jeremy's house by like just not paying her bills on her house, on her apartment anymore, and like not really telling him that this happened, that she was living with him. And one night, they're just, like, in the middle of having sex, and he's like, you should move in with me. Break your lease. And she says, I can't. I broke my lease two months ago. And he says, as he's still inside her, we already live together, and he's mad that she, like, moved into his house without letting him know. And, God, this has to be such an awkward sexual experience. (laughs) What an awkward conversation to have in the middle of doing it. It is. And she's like, I thought I told you. And then he pulled out and she said it felt like a punishment. And he's like, you did not tell me we were living together. That's something I would have remembered. And she knew that she didn't tell him. And yeah. she's like, you know, we've spent every night together for six months. We've lived together for a while now. And then she just pushes him down on the pillow and straddles his face. She says, this is why I moved in with you, Jeremy. <laughs> And she leaned forward, gripped his headboard, then bit down on it, stifling her screams. So, so we know who the biter is. Yeah. <laughs> Mystery solved. Yes. Oh, man. So she was really happy. 
until he transferred. And she is very upset about it. She says she felt like the only nourishment for her soul had been ripped from her. And she would like straddle her pillow and bite down on the headboard while she touched herself pretending he was there because she's missed him so much. She would never admit this to him though, because if you want to keep a man, you have to act like she can get over him in a day. Or if a woman wants to keep a man, she has to act like she can get over him in a day. And that's when she became a writer. And I put a note, good life advice. Yes, that is such good life advice. So she ends up writing her first book basically about Jeremy because that's all she could think about. And the character's name was Lane. And whenever she missed Jeremy, she'd write a chapter about Lane. Yep. And And then it became less about Jeremy and more about her character. Yeah. So he surprised her one day, showed up home. She wasn't expecting him. And she just finishing edit. She just finished editing the final page. And she said it was kismet. She congratulated him with a blowjob. And it was the first time she'd swallowed. And this description of swallowing is just like perfection. After she swallows, she says she acted like a lady while she was there. And then she gets up, goes to the bathroom, locks the doors turned the water on in the sink, and then pukes in the toilet. She didn't realize how much she would have to continue swallowing. And it was really tough because his dick was in her throat drowning her. (laughs) She brushed her teeth and returned to the bedroom where she found him sitting at her desk. He had a couple of pages of her manuscript, and he's reading her book. And she's saying, don't read it. Yeah. Yeah. She's, like, trying to get it away from him because she doesn't want him to stop loving her because she's not a good writer. And he, like, wants to read it because he fucking loves her. So he takes it, locks himself in the bathroom. She tries to break in, can't get in. And he reads for a little while and is like, this is really good. This is really good. I'm so proud of you. And she was really happy about that. She says, it was my first taste of what it felt like for a reader to enjoy what I had created to them. Or what I had created for them. And... Man, I bet that does feel good. I bet it does. And then he woke her up two hours later to have sex. Yeah, this is their relationship. Lots of sex. Lots of conversations in the middle of having sex. They're doing it. And he says, marry me, Verity. I said, that's one way to propose. For sure. (laughs) For (laughs) sure. I said, I just feel like making decisions during sex is not a good idea. Uh, Is your state of mind um, all there? But she says, why? And he says, because I'm your biggest fan. So she says, okay, what a, like, enthusiastic marriage proposal accepting, like, there. Okay. And um, he continues to fuck his fiance. she says, until they're both covered in sweat and she could taste blood in her mouth. And she doesn't know whose it is, but it didn't matter because his blood was my blood now. And she's so creepy. This is Megan Fox and MGK, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. She said, when he finally came, he did it inside me without a condom while his tongue was in my mouth and his breath was sliding down my throat and my eternity was entwined with his. So is this the first time that he, like, came inside her without a condom? I'm thinking so. We know on the next page, like, this is when they conceive their first kid. But then he finishes, um, reaches down to the floor, and puts a ring on her finger so he planned this yeah and so she says the night we got engaged became the night we conceived and here's where it gets real the guts of my autobiography this is the point when other author- authors would paint themselves in a better light rather than throw themselves into an x-ray machine but there is no light where we're going this is your final warning darkness ahead i feel like she moved into jeremy's house she wanted orgasms yeah 
and not then to she be got a mom. kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, can't relate, but I guess I can see where she's coming from. Yeah. And then we're on chapter six. That's our last Verity chapter of this episode. Sorry, y'all. I'm disappointed too. Yeah. <laughs> this Ooh. chapter is fucking creepy. It's very creepy. It's very creepy. <laughs> Lowen is sitting in the office looking out the windows and she's wondering who cleans these windows and I always wonder that in big buildings and who cleans rich people's houses so I feel like Lowen and I are the same tax bracket. I, I feel like it. I feel like you guys are too. <laughs> um, she says the upside is the view but also the downside is the view because the nurse parked Verity's wheelchair on the back porch right in front of the office. Um, Lowen can see Verity's entire profile as she faces west of the back porch so she's letting Verity outside while the nurse is reading her a book. Yeah, and she feels really bad when she looks at it or looks at her, and she doesn't want to keep looking, but she can't help it because of where the windows are. Yes. Then she starts talking about how she has had issues finding any notes for this series, and she started skimming the first and second books to make notes about every character and making a filing system so she could start figuring out like Verity's characters and what motivates them. This seems like such a crazy job, right? Because like yeah. authors like have their characters have lives in their brains, whole mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but my note here is what I've already said is I don't think Verity's working on the series anymore. I feel like she's only working on her autobiography and I feel like her autobiography was just like the last thing that she did before she tried to kill herself. That's what I think, too. That's what I think, too. And Lowen says that she sees movement outside, and the nurse uh, is walking away, and she moved Verity in her eyesight. And she sees that her hands are on her lap, and her head is tilted to the side, as if her brain can't even send a signal to let her know she needs to straighten up. And Verity and Lowen make eye contact. Yeah, and it creeps her out. And right before they make eye contact, she's just thinking, like, she feels so bad for Jeremy for having to handle all this. She feels like Verity is an egg crack, cracked open and poured out. And it seems disappointing that all that's left for Jeremy in his life is caring for this eggshell with no yolk. So she's having these really harsh thoughts and then looks up and makes eye contact with Verity. Ugh, so scary. Scary. We're assuming that Verity can't. She doesn't know what's going on. She probably can't see. But it seems like she's, like, watching her, like, in her line of sight. And Lowen is trying to get out of her gaze. And finally, she, like, gets out of her line of sight. Then she peeks out the window like a scared little child, I imagine, just to see if Verity is still, like, quote-unquote looking at her. And she sees April propping her head up with a pillow. And she's like, I'm scared of a woman who can barely move and can't even speak. A woman who can't willingly turn her head to look at someone much less make intentional eye contact. And the thing is, sick people are scary. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not really because they're scary. It's because we don't want to be sick. Yeah. Yeah. So, ugh. Then she gets some bad news. Donovan Baker from the apartment that she put an application on is calling to let her know that her application is being declined because she got evicted from her last apartment like two days ago. And she had opened the door to the office right before this phone call came in because she wanted to get some water after her scary experience with Verity. And Jeremy heard this entire conversation. He heard her telling these people, I've never been late on my rent. I was just hired for another job. I can pay you in two weeks. I can pay an entire year's rent. And Jeremy is like, well, you can just stay here then. 
That's got to be so embarrassing. She says she's never been so embarrassed. She doesn't want to take a loan from him, but he's like, just stay here until your advance hits your account. Then you probably are going to need that much time to take on all this work anyway. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking you need this time to read the manuscript. Yeah, definitely. And he says, we don't mind. You're not in the way at all. He says, this job you've taken on is not easy, and I'd rather you spend too much time here prepping for it than go back to New York and realize you should have stayed longer. He says, stop being considerate. Stop being embarrassed. Just say yes. And, I mean, of course she's going to say yes. She doesn't have anything else to do. So she says, all right, thank you. And, I mean, heck yeah, I'd want to work in the soundproof office. She was able to sit in that chair with no back pain for three hours. Do you remember that part? That yes. is a fancy chair. You should, you should use that chair. <laughs> yes. So he do- she says thank you, and he doesn't say anything, and he just leaves. Some time passes, and she's looking out the windows again because Jeremy told her to look out the windows for the view that Verity liked. Because of when the, the sunset. Yeah. And what view does she see? Jeremy being a good dad with crew. It's so cute. He's pulling up old pieces of wood off of their dock. I'm assuming they're replacing them with new pieces later. And crew was like grabbing the pieces and taking them off the dock into a pile or something. And it takes so long for crew to run the distance that Jeremy just has to sit there and wait with the piece of wood. And that's just really what it's like doing shit with kids. Yeah, <laughs> They're not fast. It is. it is. And she tries to remember the time with her dad and she said her dad died when she was nine but she doesn't think she ever saw him angry not even at her mother she says she sometimes perceived his patience as weakness when it came to her and i can't help but think that she just wanted her mom to have a taste of her own medicine when she feels that way that's what i think so she can't concentrate on the book she brought out to read because jeremy looks hot he took his shirt off and he doesn't have an undershirt on he's got muscles on his back and he's yanking wood out with a hammer and his muscles are looking all muscly and she's reading details about their sex life in the manuscript and she can't stop looking she says it's just for research as a writer she needs to know what inspires verity but i feel like this is going to inspire some shit for low and her damn self i think so too catches staring yes April, who already doesn't fucking like her. And I'm sure this is why she doesn't like her. Because they're around the same age. They're attractive. April probably knows. April probably thinks Jeremy's hot, too. Let's be serious. Yeah, and April's like a 50-something-year-old lady. So older than everyone. And Mm -hmm. um, not eligible for the position that she's assuming that uh, Lowen's going to take. Yeah. So April says, I'm heading out. I put Verity in bed turned on her television she's had dinner and her meds in case he asks yeah she's like i don't know why she's telling me this since i'm not in charge and so lowen dismisses april yeah she says okay have a good night and april doesn't say good night back because she doesn't fucking like lowen she notices crew waving at the house down on the dock she thinks he's waving to her but then notices he's looking up at verity's bedroom window and she spins around just as her curtain falls shut and i'm like who the fuck moved that curtain who the fuck moved that curtain and um lowen is much more brave than i because then she goes up to look i would not go look she spilled her water because it scared the shit out of her got her book all wet shakes the book out and then goes up to look to make sure that it wasn't verity peeking out the window and when she goes up there, the TV's not on. She realizes the fan, it's the fan blowing the curtain back and forth and sees Barry in bed. 
with her eyes closed and her hands to her side on top of a blanket. And then she realizes the TV's not on, but April said she'd turned the TV on before she left. The fan explains the curtain, but what about the TV? Lowen wonders if April even really turned it on or not, but like, now I'm like, is Verity faking it? Oh, that's Is she getting up and peeking out the window and turning on fans and turning off TVs? Ooh, that's a good one. I know. I would be super fucking freaked out. Lowen's freaked out. She says, I'm not going back up there again. I'm scaring myself. The most helpless person in this house is the one I'm most afraid of. It doesn't even make sense. She's trying to convince herself she wasn't staring at me through the office window. She wasn't standing at her window looking at crew. And she didn't turn off her own TV. It's probably on a timer. Regardless of the fact that I'm all aware of this, she says, she still walks back to Verity's office, closes the door, and tries to read a little bit more from her point of view to reassure herself that she's harmless. And she's thinking, I need to chill the fuck out. And I don't think Verity is harmless. I don't think so either. (laughs) I think she is very scary. Yeah. Oh, man. But that's the end of our reading. That was actually like a good, a good stopping point, even though I really want to know what's going on in chapter three of So Be It. I know, but now we're going to read up until page 201, which is chapter nine in Verity's book. Ooh, I can't wait. I'm going to probably read right after this. I guess we'll be back in two weeks to talk about the next third of this book. Yes, I'm excited. I look forward to it. We're reading to page 201, you said? Yep. Chapter nine of Verity's book. Alrighty. Okay. I'll talk to you in two weeks. Goodbye.